Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nikki. Uh, I am the Communications and Young Adults Director here, and on occasion, I get the privilege to do this as well, and so I'm excited to be here. Um, I want to start with the obvious. I'm 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> um, it is not my plan to go into labor today, but if I do, we have a lot of great medical professionals out here in our audience, so I'm sure you guys have my back, right? Um, but I probably will sit for most of today. Also, I am coming off of a week-long cold, and um, I thought I was going to cough myself off the stage in first service. So I have my uh, cough drops and my tea and my water, um, if you guys will just bear with me a little bit today. Um, but we're in part two of our series, The, Not so, or the Far From Perfect Family. And before we jump into the story we're going to talk about today, I would actually like to do just a little bit of recap from um, what has happened up to this point. If you missed last week's sermon, I highly, highly encourage you to jump online, take a look at it. Um, it was a great sermon. It sets up where we're going today, and it sets up where we're going for the rest of the series. But buckle up. Here we go. This is going to be quick. God wanted a relationship with the people he created, but we have sinned and we separated ourselves from him. So he sets into motion this epic rescue plan, and it's what we read in the Bible. It is the story of the Bible. And God chose one man, Abraham, to work his rescue plan through. Um, we see God reveal this plan to Abraham in Genesis 12, and God tells Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others, and all of the nations of the world will be blessed through your family. Keep this in mind, we're coming back to it later. So eventually, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a couple of sons, Jacob and Esau, who we talked about last week. Jacob stole his brother's blessing, right? His brother was the oldest, he was supposed to receive it, but Jacob tricked his dad, and as the second born, he stole that blessing. And it caused so much family drama that his brother was ready and willing to kill him. So Jacob and his mom devised this plan. Jacob is gonna go and stay with her family in Haran for a while. He's gonna look for a wife and he's gonna give his brother time to cool down. So Jacob's off and running and that's where we're gonna pick up today. Now, that is just a 30,000 foot view or recap of where we've been. I wanna encourage you, make it a priority, especially during this series to read the book of Genesis along with us, right? There's gonna be lots and bits and pieces that we don't cover, but they are so intricately weaved together and they affect each and every one of these stories. And they help us understand God's master plan, his rescue plan, and how it's weaved all the way throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Not because Abraham's family was perfect, but because God is a perfect God. So Jacob's running from his family to his family. Great idea, right? Um, he's running for his life. He's scared. He doesn't really know where he's going. He's a homebody kid who's out on his own. He's tired. He's worn down. He doesn't have the Find My Friends app on his phone, so he has no idea if, Jay, if Esau's right behind him or not, right? Like, he has to keep running. But somewhere along the journey, he lays down uh, to rest, and he falls asleep. And God comes to him in a dream and he confirms and affirms the blessing that Jacob stole. 
Even though up to this point, Jacob and God don't have a personal relationship, right? Jacob just thinks of God as the God of his father and his grandfather. It wasn't personal to Jacob yet. But in spite of that, God shows up to him. And then Jacob wakes up from the dream and he's totally freaked out and he makes this promise. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob missed it. He has an encounter with this personal God and he's more concerned with his food, his clothes, his safety, and getting back home. He misses out on the one that can provide all of that. And so that's where we're going today. We're going to dive in to what is it? What is the thing that we're chasing that we think will bring us fulfillment, meaning, uh, purpose, and happiness? What is the thing other than God that we're seeking after? And that it may not be a bad thing, right? It may be family or friends or success, right? Those aren't necessarily bad, but when you're chasing the wrong thing, it is. So we'll be in Genesis chapters 29 and 30, if you want to turn there with me. Um, Our verses will be on the screen behind me, but we're going to be looking at Jacob and the family he's building in Haran and how each one of them is chasing it. They're chasing something other than God. And let me tell you, if TLC existed in the ancient world, this would be their version of sister wives, all right? It's a little bit crazy. But we're going to use this story, um, hopefully learn from some of their mistakes and be able to avoid some of the pitfalls that they made. So Jacob has this encounter with God. He wakes up, he goes on his merry way, and he's looking for his mother's family. He's been traveling for a while and he comes upon this field with a well in the middle of it and there's a bunch of shepherds gathered around it. So Jacob approaches them and he says, hey, do you know my uncle Laban? And they do. And Jacob is so overwhelmed and excited because he has found his family. He's found what he's been searching for, right? He thinks he's found security. And as they're talking, Laban's daughter, Rachel, this is Jacob's cousin, um, approaches with her sheep. And look what happens. It says, then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father's and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and she grabbed her father. Couple of notes here. Um, In ancient Middle East, kissing was a very common custom. You see, families and clans were of the highest importance. Um, And so this was probably much more of a familial kiss than it was a passionate kiss. I know some of us like to read it that way because we know what's coming in the story. But in reality, this is Jacob being so overwhelmed by emotion that he's found his family, that he goes and kisses her. He was feeling secure for the first time in a while. His journey um, from his, his family could have been, taken him anywhere between two weeks uh, to a couple of months. We just don't really know. Depends on how fast he walked, if he got lost, if he took the uh, scenic route. Um, but he is there. So Rachel runs and she grabs her dad and they come back. And Jacob, Jacob's uncle is so excited to see him. Laban hugs him and kisses him and takes him home. And Jacob is starting to feel more secure, right? He's not alone anymore. 
So Jacob stays with Laban for a little over a month, and then Laban comes to him with this offer. He says, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Laban is offering Jacob a job. He's saying, this is no longer about family charity. This is no longer about, you know, me taking care of you because you're my nephew. What he's doing is he's offering Jacob an invitation to stay. It continues, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay, stop here for a minute. What in the world does it mean to have weak eyes? And why is that contrasted with Rachel's beauty? This is a cultural and contextual um, reference that we may not get today. But in the ancient Middle East, um, bright eyes were considered beautiful. They were captivating. That's where they thought the soul lived. And so if you had bright eyes, you were considered beautiful. So what this is saying is her eyes were not as bright as Rachel's. And so she was not considered as beautiful. So Laban asked Jacob what, his wage, what wages he would like. And Jacob looks around and he sees this beautiful woman. And he says, I will, I will work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, to our modern ears, and especially to us women, this sounds outrageous, right? Two men bartering over whether they're going to allow this girl to marry Jacob. It borders on sounding like sex trafficking, right? Like we, we get tense about it. But you have to remember, this is an ancient culture. This is before God's law and before um, God revealed how he wanted marriages to look like. So this is about ancient customs. And in ancient customs, it was uh, usually the groom's family would pay a dowry or a bride price to take this woman as the wife. And that was because marriages were much more contractual, right? They were about uh, adding family security, broadening your clan. So it wasn't just about love. It was about, okay, what can the families get out of this? But Jacob doesn't have anything to offer Laban, right? He's been on the run. He has no money. He has no financial means. So the only thing he has to offer is his labor. But what's really crazy here is the price that Jacob offers. He offers seven years of labor. That would be an extravagant bride price. It would have been way higher than the typical price. So it was an offer that Laban couldn't refuse. See, Jacob was chasing security and fulfillment in a person, right? That was his it. Look at his history. He had never had the affection of his father, he was his mother's favorite, but now she, they weren't together anymore, and they wouldn't be. He was a twin, which is typically a really unique bond, but he and his brother never got along. He's far from home. He's on the run. He's broken. He's empty. And for Jacob, Rachel was it. He thought that she and marrying her would finally bring him happiness, meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. He thought that by marrying her, he would secure a place for himself in Haran, but he was looking for love in all the wrong places. But you know what? We're like Jacob too, right? For Jacob, it was security in Rachel. What is it for you? What is that thing that you're chasing? Um, is it role, a status, career, a spouse, kids, a certain salary, a zip code, a car to drive? What is the one thing that you think, if I can just have this, then I'll be satisfied? That's the only thing I need. Can you identify it? Think about it. For Jacob, 
It's Rachel. So he makes this outrageous offer and he's acting out of emotion and feeling, right? He's longing to grasp hold of something. So Laban accepts his offer. Jacob works for seven years and then he walks up to his uncle slash soon-to-be father-in-law and says, I held up my end of the bargain. Now give me my wife. Can you imagine saying that to your uh, soon-to-be father-in-law? Look at what happens next. It says in verse 22, so Laban brought together all of the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. When morning came, there was Leah. Now, some of you are thinking, how in the world did he not know? Come on, they're different people, right? This is why you have a hard time believing things in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't tell us why he didn't know. So this would be a good time to look at uh, contextual and cultural evidence, right? Um, so if you think about ancient marital customs, the bride would have been heavily veiled. We still do this today, right? The bride wears a veil. Ours are just, you know, sheer white, beautiful things. This would have been a heavier veil. He may never have seen her face. Additionally, the consummation of the marriage took place in a tent at night. It would have been incredibly dark. Even if they had oil lamps, those lamps are pretty dim, and he may not have been able to notice distinguishing features. And three, this was a feast. More than likely, Jacob had consumed some wine, right? So those three things put together kind of give us clues as to why he may not have recognized her. So he wakes up the next morning and he finds who he thought was going to be his sister-in-law and he's furious. He goes to Laban and he says, what the H-E double hockey sticks, man? You tricked me. (laughs) Jacob the deceiver had been deceived. You see, Laban, his uncle, was just as deceitful and just as much of a con man as Jacob and his mother were. It was kind of their family's claim to fame. Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. In other words, the older one goes first. Uh Uh-oh. Does that sound kind of familiar to Jacob's story? For the first time, the gravity of what Jacob did hit him square in the face. He was the younger child who took the place of the older one. He stole the older one's blessing, the older one's birthright. But Laban wasn't going to let that happen to his girls. So here we have Jacob. He thought that if his father didn't love him or planned to give him a blessing, he could steal it. He thought if he did exactly what his mother said, he could have security. He thought he could have the security of a family if he worked hard for Rachel or worked for an extravagant amount of time. But what he found was that none of those things gave him the security he was looking for. He was pursuing an it outside of what God wanted for him. And you know, I think um, God might have used this situation with Laban and Leah um, to kind of start to change Jacob's heart, to refocus his attention. Um, We don't see it quite yet in the story. We're going to talk about it next week. Um, But God wants to do the same thing for us, right? He wants to grab our attention. He wants to refocus us. So the second question is, how are you pursuing it? Whatever it is that you're chasing, how are you chasing it? Because a lot of times chasing it causes us to act irrationally or out of emotion. Think about Jacob. In his case, he hurt people, his dad and his brother. Is there anyone in your life that you're hurting, that you're mistreating, that you're taking advantage of to pursue it? Do you even realize that you're doing it? 
Does your family feel put aside for the sake of whatever it is you're chasing? Jacob also compromised his character, right? He lied, he deceived, he cheated. And in the process, he lost relationships. He set them aside for the things he thought were greater. Are there relationships that you've lost? Are there relationships you wish you could mend? Last week, Pastor Tim put it this way. He says, you can choose your behavior, but you can't choose your consequences. So what consequences are you facing that you wish you weren't? Are they an outcome of your behavior chasing it? What is chasing it causing me to do? You see, um, Jacob had this new wife, Leah, but he still really, really wanted to marry Rachel. So he agrees to work another seven years. And Laban, he decides to be kind. He says, well, I'll give you Rachel on credit. Says, Says it like this. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban for another seven years. So here's Jacob. His life is a mess, right? He can't go back to his family of origin because that's a mess he created. This family he's trying to build in Haran is really messed up. At a minimum, he's annoyed with his father-in-law if he's not seething mad. He now has two wives, only one of whom he wanted or loved, and you know that's got to cause some uncomfortable moments at home, right? But it's not just Jacob who was chasing an it. Leah and Rachel both had an it that they were chasing as well. Let's look at Leah's first. She was unattractive compared to her sister. She wasn't sought after by men. Her father lies and deceives someone into marrying her, right? And as a woman, the one thing you could do was start a household and build a family, but no one wanted her to do that for them. Can you imagine how unwanted she felt? Or maybe she felt like she was a burden because Jacob doesn't want her either, right? She's just been pawned off. He was flabbergasted when he sees her in the morning. But that didn't stop him from wanting her to fulfill her marital duties. Look at what it says next in verse 32. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Names were really, really, really important. Um, It's not just about connecting a first name to a middle name so it sounds good or a last name. In the ancient world, names meant something. They were either descriptive or they were prophetic. Um, Sometimes they described how the family was feeling about the child. So Reuben sounds like the word, he has seen my misery. It can also mean see a son. So as Leah named her son, she was telling her husband, look, God saw me and blessed me with a child. Here's your son. You should love me too. See me. It goes on. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon means the one who hears. Again, she conceived And when she gave birth to a son, this time she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Levi sounds like it could be derived from the Hebrew word that means attached. Leah was chasing the love of a husband who didn't see her, didn't hear her, and wasn't attached to her. She saw Jacob be all of these things with Rachel and she wanted them for herself but she missed that God already loved her. He already saw her. He already heard her. He was already attached to her. 
She acknowledged those things, right? She says it, the Lord has seen my misery, but she didn't really chase after them. And we'll come back to that in a minute, right? She kind of had God over here while she was chasing her husband over here. She was chasing something her sister had, the love and affection of Jacob. Now let's look at Rachel. Rachel sees how successful her sister is at having children, and it makes her feel inadequate and angry. And at the beginning of chapter 30, it says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Can you hear the whine in her voice? I got to tell you, when you read scripture, it's so much more fun if you do fun voices, okay? (laughs) Rachel had so much beauty. She was elevated in status above her sister. She was given things as a second born child that she probably shouldn't have received. You know, she was getting things that she shouldn't have according to their customs, but she missed the forest for the trees, right? She was jealous of her sister's ability to have children, and Leah was jealous of Jacob's love for Rachel. Their envy was wrecking their lives. So what is it for you? Is there something that you're envious of? Does whatever it is you're chasing have its root in belonging to someone else? Are you chasing after something that someone else has that you think will bring you fulfillment, meaning, purpose, happiness? The reality is envy is lethal to joy, right? Their family was a mess because they were angry and jealous of each other. And the solution is not to get what someone else has. Rather, it's to be grateful for what you already have, right? But Rachel got so jealous of Leah that she took her servant, And gave the servant to Jacob to try and bear children on her behalf. And you know what? That isn't the first time that that happens in the Bible. Jacob's grandmother did that before Isaac was born. Jealousy leads to really, really bad decision making. So are you envious of it? This is a pretty miserable example of family, right? (laughs) Everyone's frustrated with each other. Jacob's working for a deceitful father-in-law. Leah feels unloved and unwanted. She wants to be like her sister. Rachel wants to be like her sister, who can have kids. They're just pretty unhappy. But there's a small verse in this passage that happens to have huge implication for Jacob and his family, and it has huge implications for us as well. We skipped over it, so I wanna go back and look. We're at the point where Leah has three sons, and she has hoped that Jacob would see her, that he would hear her, and that he would be attached to her, but he never was. But look what happens next. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children for a time. Judah sounds very similar to the Hebrew word for praise. Now, I don't know what happened in Leah's life that made her change. I don't know if she was exhausted, if she was exasperated, if she had some sort of personal encounter with God. But in that moment, she exchanged it, the love of Jacob, for what God had for her. And Leah didn't know, what, what Leah didn't know was that God's plan for her was so, so much bigger than her. 
Okay, you remember at the very beginning we talked about a blessing, um, that God blessed Abraham, who blessed Isaac, um, and then Jacob stole that blessing. That blessing would actually continue through Judah, right? And if you want to see where that happens, look at Genesis 49, uh, verses 8 through 12. We're not going to look at it today, but go back and read it. But Judah receives this blessing, not his three older brothers, not, not some of his younger brothers who became more famous, and we'll talk about in a few weeks, but Judah, a middle child of an unloved and weary wife, received this blessing. And do you know what that blessing was? Or maybe I should say who that blessing was. That blessing was Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Messiah, was born through the lineage of Judah. In fact, one of the names that we have for Jesus is the Lion of Judah, right? Isn't that incredible? And the blessing of Jesus was that he would come into this world, that he would live a sinless, perfect life because we can't, that he would be crucified on a cross, that he would die, he would be buried in a tomb, and three days later he would beat death and sin and walk out of that tomb. And for those of us that follow him, he gives us the gift of eternal life and forgiveness and salvation in him. Leah exchanged it. She exchanged the love and attention of Jacob for the salvation of the world. And she didn't even know it. Now, we have the beauty of hindsight. Leah didn't get to see this in her lifetime. But for us, Leah's decision paved the way for us to have a relationship with God. It paved the way for us to be in right standing with God. And if you don't know what that looks like, if you don't know um, how Jesus brings salvation to the world, I would love to talk with you about that. You can find me after service, send me an email, call me this week. I would love, love, love to talk with you about that. But Leah exchanged it for the salvation of the world. Can you imagine what God can do through you if you're willing to exchange your it for what he has for you? Are you willing? Are you willing to lay it down for whatever God has planned? Are you willing to say, I might not see it now. I might not see it for generations to come, just like Leah, but I'm willing to exchange it for whatever God has for me because I believe that what God has is bigger and better. If you were willing to exchange it, how would it affect your family? How would it affect your coworkers? Who might it bring salvation to down the line? So if we're supposed to exchange it, what are we exchanging it for? What are we laying it down for? Well, the writer of Hebrews uses this incredible idea of a race. The author lists some of this crazy family that we've been talking about, right? About how God would use them to bring a blessing to the world. And then the author says this. This is at the end of chapter 11, um, going into chapter 12. These, talking about God's chosen family, the one we've been looking at, were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what was promised. They didn't get to see this blessing fulfilled. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. How are we made perfect? Through Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw it off, get rid of it. And what do we do instead? Let us run the race, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, chase Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're supposed to be chasing after Jesus. And when we're chasing anything else, anything other than God, God's plan, and Jesus Christ himself, we're like dogs chasing our own tails, right? It wears you out, it causes you pain, and you get nowhere, right? So as we wrap up, what is it for you? What is that thing that you're pursuing? What is the thing that is taking the place of God in your life? How are you pursuing it? Is it causing you to act out of emotion and irrationalness? Is it caused by envy or is it causing envy in your life? But more than anything, are you willing to lay it down? The only way to experience happiness, meaning, and fulfillment and purpose is by exchanging whatever it is for Jesus. We're going to pray here in just a minute. And if you've got an it that you're chasing, I encourage you to write it down right now. Just jot it down. Stick it in your Bible. Stick it in your car. Stick it on your mirror. Stick it somewhere that you're going to see it in the next week. For some of you, it might be the fam perfect family, a car, a job. For some of you, it might be an addiction or the next high. For some of you, it might be that you've never chased Jesus before and you want to start figuring it out. But as we pray, ask God to change your heart towards that thing. Ask him to help you be willing to lay it down and ask God to fill up its place in your heart with himself, with Christ. And I believe that's a desire of your heart that he will gladly, gladly fulfill. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and the way they chase things. And thank you for Judah, that middle child of an unwanted and weary wife. You use the hurting and the lowly. God, thank you. I just pray for us as we go this week that you would reveal, that you would shine a light so brightly on the things in our hearts that are taking your place. Help us get rid of them to cast those idols aside and to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Hey, one last thing before you go. If you are a member of Grace Point, today we are voting for our new board of administration. You have the option to do that in the lobby, or you should have received a text or an email today um, with a link to do that electronically. Whatever way you choose is fine. Just do it once, um, and have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.